How are APIs transforming stodgy old telephone companies, mobile operators, cable companies, and enterprise customers into technology product innovators? Stay tuned as we talk to telecom as we talk about telecom APIs with the chief architect of Apogee, an API platform company based in Silicon Valley. But first, I want to hand it over to Jeff Mucci. He's going to talk about our sponsors today. Well, Victor, thanks for joining us today. This is your first. Uh... Uh, time as a host with both hands on the wheel. Um, our sponsors today are Telecom Careers, a leading industry resume database and job board. Comscope, which is one of the leading infrastructure providers, providers worldwide. They operate in over 100 countries with 12,000 employees. And then finally, um, Wireless Infrastructure Show coming up next month. That's produced by the Wireless Infrastructure Association. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Comscope, thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Register today for the Wireless Infrastructure Show, the premier national event for mobile network solutions, produced for the industry, by the industry. So thank you for joining this week's episode of Coders. This week, our special guest is Greg Braille, the chief architect for Apogee. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So I want to talk a little bit about APIs in general. I mean, this, okay. is, this is the big thing, right? Uh, this is what's enabling innovation, and a lot of people say that. So I'm curious, exactly how do APIs enable innovation for carriers and developers? Well, what, what carriers have been able to do is they've been able to use APIs to make the guts of their infrastructure and to make, you know, it, essentially to expose things, technical capabilities they've always had to a much larger audience of developers. And in order to do that, those developers, they can either be within the telco, they can be outside, they can be unknown third parties, they can be partners. All those different groups of developers can now access that functionality in a much more efficient way and with much less overhead. So for instance, so, so please. Well, I was going to say the, the, what was the old way of doing this, right? They had to work very closely with the telco to develop things and it wasn't necessarily publicly exposed. So developers had to really be sort of, uh, have an in, so to speak with the carrier, right? Right. Well, in the, the old, old way, you know, you had to be an expert on the guts of the telephony network. You had to know, you know, actually SIP was probably, you know, considered to be the easy way to do it. You had to know, you know, underneath the covers, you know, what actually do I have to do to route an SMS message or to get a location request? Um, what happened around the, you know, the, the 2000s was the whole SOA movement and the whole web services movement came out. So a lot of the telcos then ended up using a lot of the emerging standards there to expose, you know, there were a lot of these service delivery platforms people started to deploy, and they started to expose um, the guts of this telephony network as SOAP web services, which meant that anybody with a SOAP stack and an HTTP connection could technically make an API request, but you still needed to know the right people, you needed to be inside the corporate network, you needed to have a private line or have something provisioned, it was still a fairly complex process. So what a lot of carriers have done over the last few years is they, they looked around and they said, you know, how can we make it easy for developers to access our functionality? So a very simple example would be, you know, sending an SMS, right? Once upon a time, you'd have to be inside the guts of the network 
the web services movement came along. Now you could be anywhere on the network, but you still had to be connected. But the next step is, you know, as a third-party developer, and I should be able to go to a web page, discover what APIs a particular carrier offers, sign up via self-service, get some security credentials, and start trying that API out right away. Now, if I want to launch an app on the App Store and have millions of users, I might need to actually enter a business relationship. But sort of the ideal was how quickly can we get third-party developers on board with our functionality? And a lot of the carriers have looked around and said, you know, we think this is an important part of our business, and, and they've started to figure out how to do it. And to that end, what can you tell us about, have they had to change their architecture, or, or have they provided SDKs to developers to be able right. to do things? Well, in terms of, of, I'll actually get to the SDKs first. SDKs are, are an interesting point. Um, because the term API, um, for anyone who's, who's on this call, has been around for you know longer than any of us, right? And what happened is sort of during the internet era, um, companies like Yahoo and Flickr and you know later on Facebook and Twitter kind of popularized the use of the term API as being a web service. And basically a company like Twitter would say, yeah, this is our API. And the nice thing about that style of API is that if you design it well enough, you don't need anything special on the client to call it. You don't need a stack. You don't need an SDK. You need to know how to use HTTP. You need to know how to use TLS or what we used to call SSL. In some cases, you need to know OAuth. Um, but you don't really need anything else. And so it kind of became this much more flexible model where you don't have to have an SDK. Now, many successful APIs offer an SDK. Because the truth is, it's usually a lot easier for an application developer. You know, you're coding along in iOS. Um, you want an Objective-C SDK. Here it is. All I have to do is call a bunch of functions. But the nice thing is if the API is well enough designed and I don't like the SDK or if it doesn't work on my platform, I can still call the API because I understand HTTP and everything nowadays understands HTTP. That um, makes sense. Yeah. And, and you mentioned something about the telco architecture, I think. Yeah. The first phase was, can we put a layer in front of the stuff we already have so that we can expose these things as APIs? Um, I think over the years, more and more carriers and more and more companies in general have started to look at the use of APIs inside as well. And so, I mean, again, if you, if you go back and look what happened with SOA, um, a lot of it was about taking sort of proprietary or more complex communication protocols and turning them into HTTP and XML-based web services. And that was a really important step, but it was still hard to get access. You had to go to a meeting or you had to know someone's phone number or you had to you know, get approval. And sort of the promise that came from the internet with APIs was, well, why can't we have a catalog of all of our APIs? Why can't they be really simple? And why can't anybody who's properly authorized start using them via self-service? And that concept has started to trickle down into all kinds of companies. And because partly because that's what developers are now used to doing. If you hire a developer or even hire you know, an old guy like me who's been working for a long time on, on the internet, they're still going to be a lot more comfortable with, with JSON and with, with an API than they are with something proprietary or something more complex. And they're gonna say, you know, why, why do I need to go to the meeting to use your API? Why can't I just, you know, fill out a form and, and use it? 
So that's, I think, that, that idea is starting to trickle down and it's starting to change the way people are designing their systems. Uh, which is, of course, great for developers, but how, what's the best way for developers to leverage these APIs? Well, I think that, um, I mean, it's almost impossible as a developer nowadays not to leverage APIs in some way, right? If you're using Amazon Web Services or OpenStack for that matter, um, you're using APIs. And, you know, so, so there are kind of two aspects. I mean, you're going to be using APIs no matter what. The question is, how do you pick the right ones? And I think that's a, you know, it, it's a bit of an art right now. I mean, it's it's like any service, really. Um, you have to ask yourself, what is the, you know, what is the uh, API provider offering? How easy is the API to use? What's the SLA like? Who do I call when it breaks? What am I paying for it? You know, I think, you know, the one thing that, that you can probably pay a little bit of attention to is what's the pricing model, right? Because, um, you know, a, a lot of APIs are free for a little while and then they cost money and you just got to do a little bit of planning. And, and Victor, I guess uh, one question I would have would be, um, talk a little bit about the architecture of an API platform, such yeah. as uh, API and uh, Apogee and other companies have, and then talk a little bit, uh, Greg, about the difference between northbound and southbound APIs as it relates to the telecom environment. Yeah, okay, sure. So what an API platform uh, like Apogee does is we essentially provide a layer, and there are a lot of companies that do this, so I'll use Apogee as an example. Um, basically, the API platform is a layer between what the API clients are calling, which is usually on the internet, but doesn't have to be, and what's already existing in, in the system. And it can take on a lot of capability, or it can take on a very small capability. So for instance, a common use case for a lot of a, car a lot of carriers is we have a catalog of SOAP web services, maybe we have some other HTTP web services, maybe we have some things that are not web services at all, but they're still TCP, right? Like, you know, SIP, for instance. Um, we have those things, and we want to turn them into a consistent API. We want it all to have a, a consistent design. We want to follow some, some, some design principles that are very common on the internet. Uh, we want to use a security standard like OAuth. We want to have some traffic controls because we're going to be taking something that was designed to be used by a couple of servers inside our corporate network and potentially exposing it to millions of client devices out over the internet. We might want to have some caching. We want to have some additional security controls like threat detection and we want to be looking at traffic patterns and making sure nothing crazy is happening. So all of these kinds of things are sort of within the scope of what an API platform can do. Companies like us provide them as commercial products. Other, some, some people assemble them out of open source. Um, there, are, there are lots of different ways to do this, but, but a, a very typical kind of use case is almost always the API platform is authenticating the API requests, often using OAuth, but not necessarily. Um, it's almost always doing some sort of traffic management, like in, imposing a quota. You know, each application is only allowed 10,000 API calls a day. If you want more than that, contact us kind of thing. Um, it's almost always, uh, it's frequently doing some sort of caching it's almost always gathering some sort of analytics because now you have all this data flowing through the platform. You know, it tells us a lot about the business. And then beyond that, it depends on where you are. So for instance, a lot of, um, in, in the case of, 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 some of, the, of some of the telco carriers, um, you have you know, five SOAP web services, each one looks totally different. 
what a mobile developer today expects is they expect to send a very small, simple JSON payload and have you translate it to whatever happens on GitHub. So one of the things that an API platform can do is it can do that transformation, turn the JSON into a SOAP request, add in all the extra headers, parse the response, pull out the relevant bits. That's the kind of thing that, that uh, an API platform is often used for as well. And, and on the southbound side, um, would it be a carrier or an enterprise customer, is it limited to one or more layers of the stack, or can you do calls to the application layer all the way to the network layer, or even in the uh, future world of software-defined networks down to the silicon layer? Well, you could. Now, I think there becomes, you know, at least in, in the case of some of the API platforms like Apache that I know, is that um, usually they're really optimized for HTTP kind of stuff and TCP kind of stuff, right? So, for instance, in, you know, their there are protocols within you know, the traditional telephony network that are, are not TCP. Um, so there are great products out there for doing that kind of adaptation. Um, there are protocols out there that aren't HTTP, and depending on the platform, it may or may not be able to handle that. But I think that there's a, you know, there's a line between what the API platform is optimized for and what more traditional integration platforms are optimized for. Okay. Um, if it's, you know, file transfer is something that seems pretty simple, but actually it's really complicated. Uh, there are a lot of products out there that turn file transfer into a nice clean API. So why not use one of those? So I think that you know there is a line, but typically the API platform concerns itself the most with HTTP. And the thing is with things like STP, um, with all the virtualization trends, more and more things today have an HTTP API. So then the role of the API platform becomes making that consistent and I think you see with uh, all the talk these days about microservices, microservices tend to be HTTP APIs. Now, instead of 10 of them, you've got 100 of them. And instead of being in one data center, they're in seven data centers. And how do you decide where to go and who's up and who's down? And that's a lot what a lot of the more interesting work that's happening nowadays is, is being done with. And that's very interesting as well. And, and you know, to that end, what are some of the pain points that you're seeing right now? Because there's obviously an explosive amount of growth. There's a huge yeah. need. Things are actually solving a lot of problems, but there's still some pain points in dealing with yeah. that, right? Sure. I mean, I, I mean, as with anything, I think one of the things is that the internet obviously has exploded due to the mobile network. And a mobile app, whether it's on a phone or on a thermostat, again, is has got orders of magnitude more stuff happening in it and orders of magnitude more traffic than a lot of the things we're used to. Now within the telephony world, um, carriers are used to dealing with a lot of traffic, so it's not as much of a surprise for them, but still it's often one or two orders of magnitude more than they've dealt with before. So a lot of the challenge becomes dealing with the performance. You know, you've put a layer in between the internet and, and your internal systems, but were your internal systems designed for that load? And if they're not, what are you going to do about it? Can you offload data? Can you, um, you know, take reference data out and take inventory data out into a more scalable database system and give that an API? And then those become real, you know, technical architecture challenges that that affect the business as well. And and that's you know kind of where the paradigm shift takes place. Um, you know, and and the other paradigm shift is that the world of the internet and the world of mobile devices moves very quickly. You've got a lot of, of, of innovation happening. Um, developers are used to very short response times. They're used to being able to tweet about a problem in 
on you know Sunday morning and have someone pay attention. Um, that's different from the more traditional IT enterprise world of you know the help desk is open nine to five Monday through Friday, and you know we release a new version of the API every year. Um, it's a completely different paradigm, and I think a lot of organizations are starting to to just try and figure out how do I make those shifts, right? So it becomes a cultural shift, and that's right. Well, and a lot of it seems to have been driven by the rise of mobile and and you know so and I'm curious because as we enter things like the Internet of Things, yeah, uh, how how are APIs playing into that? Because that is another huge thing that mm -hmm. is just starting to come online, and we're just starting to deal with that. And it looks very similar to sort of the explosion of mobile, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about Internet of Things is that there are a lot of things, um, and you know. Uh, I think at least a lot of them are going to have APIs. So the question becomes, you know, does does my light switch have an API? Well, you know, probably not. Your light switch probably has some sort of low power radio communication. But it probably talks to a hub in my house. And does the hub in my house have an API? And if it does, how do I call it? Um, my house doesn't usually I usually people usually set things up so you can't make API calls into your house. So all of these different hubs have various protocols where they, they reach out to the internet and they do some sort of 